Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson, and I'm in the studio today with the one and only Sean Gardner, my partner and attorney. And we've got Cody Beeson running the board and, and pushing buttons and doing what he does best. And if you don't know yet or remember, I'm here to remind you, Sunday is Christmas. So if you haven't finished your shopping, you better get out there and get going or order that stuff on Amazon and rush it to your house because it's coming on Sunday. Oh, wow. And so uh, if you're not ready for it, I, I like me then uh, now's the time to start if you're going to. Every year we're like, kids, we're not doing presents this year. Surprise, we're going to do an experience. And that never goes over well. But the experiences always work out. This year we said the same thing. I just haven't figured out what that experience is going to be, and I've got a week to do so. So uh, we're kind of in hot water now at my house. It's kind of crunch time, but we'll, we'll get there. I was going to ask, are you surprised when the kids open their presents too? Like, oh yeah, we, I got you that too. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, but my wife gets some stuff still. You know, and we're, I thought we are going to do an experience here, but uh, I guess the experience is you get presents and you get experiences. You get whatever you want nowadays. I picked up on what you were saying, and yeah. yes, the answer is yes. When when kids look at me and say, "Dad, oh, thank you," and I go, "Oh, wow, that was very generous of us." And I look at the wife and have no idea that what was in the present until the kid opened it. Yeah, whatever, it. It, it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So my wife recently got back from Hawaii. She didn't take me with her. She didn't want me around. No, just kidding. She asked me to go. I was like, no, I'm too busy at work. And, and so she went ahead and went without me um, and with her sister. I'm not going to make it sound like, you know, she just left. But she did with her sister. And uh, they had a fun time in Maui for like a week. And so prior to this, I made a joke to the kids one night before she left. I said, yeah, sorry, kids. There's no Christmas this year because mom's going to Hawaii. So... And, and so while she was gone, I heard it two or three times from my kids, like not to me directly. I could hear them talking to each other. Oh man, mom's in Hawaii, so we don't get Christmas this year. I'm like, perfect. It was a joke, but it really worked and they understand. So I set very low expectations for this Christmas and uh, hopefully that works out for me because uh, we're up against the wire. But uh, my wife, she tries to convince me. So she gets to Hawaii. She gets to Maui. And she's like, this place is paradise. And, you know, the days are going by and by. And every day she's reporting back how awesome it was and how it's paradise and stuff like that until day number three when she says, oh, they rushed us out of the water today. The beach that we're at, that where we're staying, um, there was a shark attack. And I was like, mm-hmm, that's why I don't go to Hawaii. Apparently, Maui has the most shark attacks out of any place in the world. It's like a hotbed for tiger sharks to attack. I really hope my kids aren't listening to the show. Oh, that's true, because you're, you're going pretty soon. I'm leaving literally on Thursday. Yeah. So there are certain, certain reefs you don't want to go around, or you might be uh, chomped by a tiger shark. So... Just basically, the the my wife was about to go snorkeling, just like she'd done in the days earlier. And uh, for whatever reason, she didn't get in the water. She wanted to get her hair braided or something before she got in. So she had one of her nieces start to do that. And then all of a sudden, helicopters are all over the place. Lifeguards and, and Coast Guard were all around. And so as they asked around, they said, oh, yeah, there is a shark attack right over there about 70 yards off off the beach on that reef and she was just snorkeling in that area the day before she saw huge like five foot sea turtles underneath uh on that reef and and uh so lo and behold the next day there was a husband and a wife snorkeling and 
the husband sees the shark and and uh, quickly tries to get to the beach. The first reports were like he he had to fight it off. I don't know if that's true or not, but there was a couple from Washington State, and and so he gets to the beach and realizes, oh, my wife's not with me, and so uh, yeah, they start the search and rescue for her and never found her. And I think a couple of days later, her bathing suit washed up on shore and um, her snorkel gear and stuff like that. So just be careful, Sean, when you go to Hawaii, when you go to Maui. Hey. Merry I, Christmas. I have my affairs in order. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I feel okay. My kids, I, I would be, I'd, yeah, that would, that would be a damper on the vacation to come home with less. I don't think sharks are in the business of eating kids. I think they want bigger stuff. Okay. Like... You know, people that flail around that look sickly. I think that's what they go after. You just have to be faster than the wife. That's me. That they, <laughs> not strong swimmers. Yeah. That's what I think would happen. Yeah, I, I mean, look I, like an injured seal when I'm swimming. Yeah. <laughs> so just keep your eyes up, peeled, you know. It doesn't matter. If they want you, they're going to get you. So whether you try try to see them or not, you're not going to, and, and they're going to come get you. But um, uh, Merry Christmas, Sean. Have fun in Hawaii. Thank you. So today we're talking about some very important things. One of the biggest things that's been on my mind is a case that came out of Colorado that the Supreme Court recently heard. And um, I don't want you to tune out here. I don't want you to hear what I'm saying and, and, and be like, oh my gosh, he's going to talk about the Supreme Court. Boring. No, but this case is very relevant. And uh, the case basically in, in basic facts is about this individual that runs a website in Colorado and uh, well, creates creates websites for other people, so they can be commissioned to create custom websites for this other for for people that come to them. This uh, LGBTQ person or people came to them to create a custom site that promulgated that type of um, information. It was, it was a gay couple, and and okay, so, sorry to interrupt your go for it your story here, but no, you're you're. I have a hard time when they they lump everybody in a transgender with a bisexual and um, a gay in a couple because those are totally different people. And, and just like I don't want to be coupled in with individuals say, well, you know, he is such and such. Let's just go by faith. I'm of the LDS faith. And you say, well, you're the same as, you know, the Catholics and the Protestants and everybody else out there. Well, we're, we're a bit different. There are some nuances to it. And I think even more so with, you know, sexual orientation, you have got a gay couple and they just happen to have an attraction to the same sex. Um, where bisexual, now you have attraction to two or both genders, and that, that's very, very different. And then you got transgender, which is very different than that. That's, you don't even identify as one or the other, or you identify as something opposite of what you were born as. But anyway, this was a gay couple. We'll call them Mike and Harry. They wanted to get married continue so they go to this individual that and they said hey we need this custom website built and the individual refuses to do so basically on moral terms they they well religious terms let's say uh, in the sense that they they said well that goes against what i believe and i don't um in my closely held convictions i don't want to create a site that promulgates something that i don't that personally i don't believe in and it goes contrary to what i believe in uh, ethically and morally and religiously, let's say. So anyway, um, they sue because in Colorado there's anti-discrimination laws that say that you can't do that. You can't discriminate based on gender or sex and um, sexual orientation. And so this went through the court system in Colorado all the way up 
through the circuit courts and the district courts and then the appeal court and now it's arrived at the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court recently held a hearing on it and, and heard the oral arguments. And I bring this topic up because as I heard these arguments being given, both sides, both sides of this, my biggest question was, wait a second, what does the government have to do with me discriminating against somebody? Why are they getting involved in that? If I want to discriminate against somebody, can't I do that? Yeah, yeah. And you, you do it by saying, yeah, the price is a million dollars. It's $100,000 for your website. And then they go away. I mean, the reason we got here, I, I think they just want to fight in court. They, they wanted to take it to this level because it, it didn't need to go here. Uh, yeah, obviously, both sides want to make sure that their interests are protected here. And the way that you do that is you take it all the way to the Supreme Court. And, and the Supreme Court felt like this is a case that we need to decide on because the, the law is unsettled in this particular area. That's what the, the court generally does. They don't just take any case that comes to them. They're going to take a case that has relevance across the United States because it's going to be binding across the United States once they rule on that particular case. So in this case, you've got the gay couple that has an interest securing themselves as a class that's legally protected against anti-discrimination, or excuse me, against discrimination. And so they're trying to bolster the power of anti-discrimination laws in particular states or on the federal level to extend that to not only government action, but to private action. So in this particular case, we have private actors that are involved here, and you've got the government involved because Colorado promulgated this anti-discrimination law, and that's what the gay couple is using to sue this private actor that creates websites. So you've got the interconnection between the government, because it's a law, that they promulgated in Colorado against the private citizen that creates websites that says this goes against my closely held beliefs, which violate my express written rights under our constitution in the, in the first amendment and freedom of speech and freedom to express your religion. And so we've got this whole battle going on. And so how is the court going to decide this? Are they going to, bolster this class that was created through the court system that's not in the Constitution, that if you're in this particular class of LGBT, LGBTQ, then you have certain rights or you're going to be protected more so than me. And this conversation came up, Sean and I, you were, Sean and I were talking about this the other day, right? And I, we brought it up and he said, why aren't, why aren't people that are in a traditional marriage protected? Isn't that the most sacred of all unions that can create a child and and rear that child to become a better person and well, thereby create a better society for all of us and or yet at it's least not protected or at least as sacred as the other protected uh entities and and groups i think that the, a traditional family should not be looked at as less valuable than a gay family or a non-traditional family, and that's where it's fallen to. I don't think that white Christian males should be looked at as the dregs of society that don't get any rights, that don't get any protection, but that's what it's fallen to. You can attack a white Christian male, especially if he's straight, um, but you can't attack any minority group, and that that's the problem that I have with it. It's We firmly believe that all men are created equal, 
but we've taken that concept and we've twisted it to make individuals that have minority views or practice minority lifestyles and given them greater equality. So we're all created equal, but some are more equal apparently than others. And if you read in George Orwell's Animal Farm, you see that coming true. It, it's, you know, the pigs are obviously more equal than the horse and the sheep and the others. And that's the problem that I have with it. I think that uh, this business owner should have the right to say, you know what, um, your marriage to, you know, you're a 50-year-old guy and you're marrying this 13-year-old girl. I, I don't want to advertise that wedding. I choose not to. Now, that is a man and a woman being married. And, you know, a thousand years ago, that was perfectly acceptable. Even today in certain countries, that's acceptable. But to her, her personally, that's not acceptable. And I would say even regardless of religion, it just goes against her her moral compass. And so whether she says that it's with that particular um, celebration of, of their union or whether it's a gay couple or whether it's a transgender or anything. She's got the right to say what she's going to do. And I think the 13th Amendment protects that. There's a whole bunch of rights that are literally constitutional rights. We don't have to read between the lines in the Constitution. The 13th Amendment outlaws slavery. What is slavery? It's compelling labor, right? And so if you're compelling somebody to do something, to work, then that's against the 13th Amendment. And that's, it's also compelling speech, which is contrary to the First Amendment, which if, if I'm compelled to speak, then I'm compelled to give a message that I don't want to, and that, that violates my right to deliver whatever message I do want to give. Because if I'm giving one I don't, then I only have a limited amount of time and space to talk, and that means I'm, I'm limited in the speech that I want to give and also my religion. If I'm compelled to practice... Um, or, or to advocate for and to advertise uh, certain, you know, the marriage in this case that is, is contrary to my religion, then I'm not free to practice my religion. These laws really came about, I think, wasn't it in the 60s, Sean, like 1968, I believe, the Civil Rights Act uh, was passed by the federal government? 64. And so there's two big legislative pieces of the puzzle here. And it really came out of uh, the 60s, 70s, where the federal government tried to, well, they not tried, they did. They, they created anti-discrimination laws through legislation, through our Congress, to protect on the basis of sex, uh, and then uh, I, want, I want to say old, it, it's oldness. Race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. There you go. And so, and then once that was created, now you start categorizing people. And what's come out of that is now we start adding different categories. You start adding different boxes to, to fit into all that. And to me, that's a very slippery slope. And we're now experiencing that s slippery slope in the sense that once you begin putting people into a box, you alienate others. So we talked about the traditional family unit that consists of a, a man and a woman that get married and they have children and they rear those children to hopefully be good citizens in our society. Why aren't they protected? If that's, if that's the central traditional way of doing things and that has worked over the course of centuries, why aren't we protecting that? But it's not in the protected classes. Like you mentioned, Sean, why? Because they've been alienated because we're all focused on these other classes that have been promulgated by our government and the government says well if you if you are 
a female, then you can't be discriminated against if you are black or you can't be discriminated discriminated against because you're black or you're white. Or if, if I try to go rent an apartment and I have children and I get denied because that landlord says, no, I don't want children in here, then that's discriminatory and they can't do that. So I could sue them, right? So on based on family unit size, uh, there's all sorts of different classes and, and groups that we've been categorized in, except for the traditional marriage of man and woman. And so once you start to categorize people, you're inevitably going to alienate people. That's just what happens. And they, and they don't have the same protections as, as these other categories do that the government now not only created these classes and, and uh, promulgated these, uh, these protections, but now they've also alienated others that don't have those same protections. And that, in my opinion, is just wrong. I think we should live in a society where if I want to discriminate, if I want to call Cody something, call him a name, going back to our school days, elementary school. If you go to the playground on elementary school in an ele- any given elementary school in the United States, you're going to hear very bad things said to other people based on race, sex, religion, and you find you can based find, on the shoes you're wearing, Adam. Yeah, status <laughs> you know? or class. Yeah. And that's that's real life. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you become an adult, now you have to suppress what you actually are thinking and not say it. And Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but I don't think the government has a role in that. If I want to call Cody anything I want because of his his sex, religion, or or race, I think I should be able to do that, free from the government intervening and throwing me in jail or fining me, because the natural consequence of that is that maybe people don't want to be around me. Maybe I lose friends. Maybe Cody uh, tells other people and I lose business. So there are natural consequences to me doing something like that, but let that play out in the natural sphere of things, in in the natural society. I don't need the government to put in in action anti-discrimination laws to protect Cody. Let Cody be a grown-up man and take it, right? I hear you. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, because you've said some really vile things to me. No, just kidding. And they've been off air. Yeah, yeah no, I'm just teasing. Uh, we got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and Law. We'll be right back after this. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, and uh, we are estate planning attorneys. I've got Adam Hanson here sitting across the desk from me, and I've got Cody Beeson, and we talk a lot about what we believe in the realm of politics. Uh, Are we qualified to talk about this? Maybe yes, maybe no. But I think that uh, a common sense approach is, is lacking in the political conversation. And uh, the mainstream media doesn't cover things that uh, ought to be covered, such as just the basic approach. So, Cody, in your mind, what were the civil rights acts all about in, in 1964? What was the purpose of it? Well, I mean, I, I think we, we, we are getting there in the sense that you know, we shouldn't have two bathrooms. We shouldn't have separate water fountains, those sort of things. So I get where there was a place in time where that was our, our, our that happened in our country. Segregation. Yeah, yeah. So you know? they're called the Jim Crow laws, and they're all about segregation. It was 
there's black schools and there's white schools. This was in the South. And uh, the, the argument was, hey, separate but equal. Everybody is equal under the law, but we can still have laws that uh, don't allow certain races to drink from certain drinking fountains or go to the same restrooms or even uh, participate at the same restaurants. And so uh, the Civil Rights Act says, no, you can't discriminate based on um, race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. And those, Adam, you've brought up several times here, are immutable characteristics. You're born with them. And you can't change those. And so you should not be discriminated against in the United States because of those characteristics. Now, what we've fallen into it through this slippery slope is a whole bunch of characteristics. That, I mean, the very phrase um, gender fluid <laughs> is, is descriptive of something that is not something that is innate. It is fluid. And, and, and not immutable. And so since it's fluid, then if somebody is getting greater rights because of their uh, identification and, and, and their ability to identify from one gender to the next or continue the fluidity, then they can just choose whatever uh, group of people gets the larger amounts of rights and respect and identify with that group. But really honest people that are trying to contribute to society and make it um, in America and, and, and actually realize the American dream the way that we ought to by hard work and, and, and our credentials would never do that. We wouldn't just affiliate with a minority group just for the purpose of accelerating our, our um, climb to the top in America. We would actually do it through just working hard and identifying about who we are. And I think that because that should be true for one person that doesn't become gender fluid or race fluid or even, I don't know, I think you can be um, species fluid now, right? You can identify as a furry. Yep. I'd, since you can't, since one person doesn't do that, they should not be discriminated against because of their lack of minority status. Getting back to these Jim Crow laws, as you call them, Sean. The, uh, so the, the purpose of those were really to prevent segregation, you, allowing water fountains, for example, to be used by all people, not just by white people in the South, allowing black people to sit anywhere they want on a particular bus. So there was a, there was a purpose behind those laws to castigate a person that would violate that particular law by not allowing a person to drink out of a particular water fountain or ride on the bus or sit where they want on this particular bus because of their race. I go back to my argument and because Sean, when you were talking, what my thought was is, okay, so Sean is kind of on board with that kind of uh, Jim Crow or anti-discrimination law. If it's, if it's uh, kept within bounds. And okay, so Jim Crow is a discriminatory law, and yeah. anti-discrimination is the opposite. Yeah. Just, I'm not in favor of Jim Crow laws Yeah, I, I said that wrong. That's what I meant. It was anti-discrimination laws. But it, it sounds like the 1964 legislation that we've been talking about, you're kind of on board with that, if kept within bounds. But what happened was it kind of grew too big. And my argument is I, I, I disagree with it at all. I, I don't need the government to tell me to not be discriminatory. I can be discriminatory if I want to be discriminatory. 
and the natural consequences will play out. So I might lose business, I might lose friends, I might be you know, publicly scorned, but I don't need government to intervene in my life to say that, oh, Adam, what you said was really bad, and now you're going to be fined or imprisoned, or you have to create this website for this couple that you really don't agree with their lifestyle. Because if you don't, it's discriminatory. And we've already said that if you do something like that, then you're in big trouble. Right. So it's it's the whole thing um, where the government goes in to fix one thing, and they, they, they create two more problems for every problem that they solve. For example... The problem was racial discrimination, and it was law that was discriminatory. The law was that uh, you couldn't sit in a restaurant with a white person if you were a black person, or you couldn't be alone if you were a black male with a white female. And those were laws. You couldn't, there, there were laws against interracial marriage, and that was a law. And so what you're saying is, okay, the 1964 Civil Rights Act not only voided those laws, but it went the other direction and it said you cannot discriminate regardless. And that was too far. So what should have happened is you can't make a law that is discriminatory. The government cannot make a discriminatory law, just as the government cannot embrace one religion. But the government should not um, ban religion. And so in the same sense, the government cannot ban discrimination. We are allowed to be free. That means we're allowed to be jerks. We're allowed to be discriminatory. We're allowed to be racist. I don't think it's a good thing, just as I don't think it's a good thing to be lazy, but it is my right to be lazy and to starve to death, or it's my right to work hard and become wealthy. That is what freedom is all about. And so when we make laws that govern our conscience and our ability to embrace other people of diverse backgrounds, what we're really doing is we're displacing what our, our moral judgment is with what somebody else's is that is elected to a political office and supplanting what we should be doing for ourselves and being good, honest, and moral people and just following like sheep laws that are dictated from above. And I think the the danger in that is once you get the government involved, the government doesn't have a it doesn't have a moral compass. It's an entity. It doesn't have it doesn't serve God. It doesn't go to church. In fact, they stay out of that kind of stuff. They have to constitutionally. So when you have a government telling you what our our moral compass should be, when it doesn't have a moral compass, that's the challenge. And that's what my argument is, is I, I think you said it really well, Sean, in the sense that what should have happened instead of legislation to protect these classes, what should have happened was those Jim Crow laws should have been found unconstitutional just because they, you can, the government shouldn't be able to create a law that discriminates among classes or people at all. They shouldn't be involved in that. And if a restaurant owner didn't want uh, black people in their particular restaurant, I, I argue that there doesn't need to be a law that says that no black person shouldn't be in that restaurant uh, like the Jim Crow laws were. Rather, it should have been more like the Jim Crow laws shouldn't have ever, ever been constitutional. That's right. it. And so they should have reversed the Jim Crow laws and stopped. That's but, it. But they can't stop. 
they must continue to go forward. And so as soon as they go forward, then um, they create laws of equal rights, right? And so then they dictate what is an equal right. And as long as the government is not participating in the discrimination, that's as far as it can go. It cannot force me not to discriminate without taking away my freedom. And those are the fundamental rights that life, liberty, and property are fundamental rights that cannot be taken away by the government or any group of people. And again, we'll we'll take one more step back. If a group of people can't do it, or if an individual could not do it, then the government can't do it because we are a government of the people. Therefore, the government can only do what an individual could do and collectively a group of individuals could do. A government doesn't have more power or authority than any one person or group of individuals. Just because it's the government, it doesn't get put on a higher level than the individual. In fact, that's exactly the the contradiction of what the Founding Fathers wanted. They wanted the individual to be the highest and the government to be the servant. And so if an individual can't force you to serve somebody that you don't want to serve at your restaurant or to provide a website service for somebody that you don't want to provide it for, if, if I can't go in and force you to do it, then I can't delegate that authority to the government. I can't delegate authority that I don't possess myself. We need to take a break. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. My Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is 560 AM, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm in studio with attorney Adam Hanson and Cody Beeson. We do estate planning. We help people get their affairs in order. Essentially, uh, the long and short of it is we help them manage their property while they're alive allow it to continue to be managed when they become incapacitated without government interference, and then allow it to pass on to whoever they feel is appropriate, whether it's their children or their favorite charitable organization or whatever um, entity they wanted to give it to without government intervention. That's the whole idea of our law practice. And so if you want to learn more about how you can manage your assets and then have them pass along to maintain your legacy when you pass away, please call us at uh, 928-783-4466. Let's get back into the government staying out of our lives. 
every time the government gets involved, it makes things more complicated. We talked about it with the Civil Rights Act. It should have stopped at reversing the Jim Crow laws and allowing people to continue on, heal by integrating and working with one another and allowing people to achieve based on merits. I think sports is just a, such a wonderful demonstration of this. If you look at what has happened through um, just the last century in sports, baseball used to be all white. And then we had Jackie Robinson, right? We've got um, boxing, which is primarily white in early um, 1900s and certainly in the 1800s. And then we had a lot of minorities and particularly black individuals becoming very famous boxers and uh, right now you know, one of the best boxers of all time. I would say probably even if you were to make a list of top 10 boxers of all time, a majority of them would be probably African American or Latino. Um, it, it, it continues on with basketball and with football and I don't think that anybody in their right mind would look at a football team that is 90% black and say, that's racist. That's discriminatory. Where, where is the diversity there? We need to have some more Asians on that team. We need to have some more Latinos on that team. We need to have some more white people on the team. We need to have some more females on that team. It's, that, that's ludicrous. Those people that are playing on the field are there because they earned their position. The coach didn't look at where they grew up. The coach didn't look at whether they were in poverty. The coach looked at, can they run? Can they tackle? Can they throw? Great, you're on our team. And I think that in America, we need to apply that because in every facet, in every industry, we need people that are smart, that can innovate, that can think on their feet. And um, it, that doesn't come in a particular gender or race or ethnicity or national origin. It comes from people that are allowed to exchange ideas freely without fear of being canceled, without fear of persecution because they may have misspoken or some idea that they had a particular point of time when they were trying to develop a concept was contrary to some arbitrary law out there that banned hate speech and, and, and continues to group more and more words and, and, and vocabulary into this huge group of hate speech. So I think that merit-based prosperity is the way that this country was developed and, and reached the level and the heights that it, it has. And as soon as we cancel that out with cancel culture, then um, we are going to fall. And I think this country, the only way that it can die out is by suicide. Because we can resist any foreign enemy, but we can't resist a struggle between ourselves. Government complicating things. Early on, when there began to be travel in space, there became a difficulty of writing in space. And it was found that you couldn't write in space with a pen because you needed gravity for the ink to flow down through a ballpoint pen. And so it, w it wasn't working. And so NASA went to work and a lot of uh, I think Russia probably participated in this as well, but a lot of money and time and resources was put into the development of a pin that could write upside down with, with gravity, without gravity, underwater, nearly on any surface. And, and thousands of hours and millions of dollars were spent on developing a pin that could write anywhere under extreme heat and under, with no gravity. 
And so the question becomes, well, we were still doing space travel. We were still participating in space travel during that time. So what did we write with? And the answer, Cody, I can see it on your face. Well, I, I had one of those pens. Oh, you did? The, the Fisher Space Pen. Yeah, it, it was great. I'm, I appreciate it. Oh, is that why you're smiling? I, I know I know the answer to this. What is it? Because I know what the Russians used. Yeah. They used a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, you used a pencil. Yeah. And sometimes we look at it, and we look so far beyond the mark that uh, we bypass the simplest solution. And... I want to get back to, okay, well, what is a simple solution to a complex problem right now? If you were to take a look at the most complex laws that we have currently, the tax code. The tax code, there's more than 10 million words in the tax code. And it is so difficult that there was recently a study where a a fairly simple tax return was submitted to 46 different very respected tax preparers. You know how many outcomes they got? 45? 46. No kidding. Yes. All different. 46 for 46 different outcomes because they were all trying to interpret the tax code and they were all getting it different. And uh, so, and, and, and some were vastly different, thousands of dollars difference. And I'm talking about a, a pretty generic tax return. So there's a problem with the system. And what's the fix? The fix is a flat tax. Now, a flat tax, a lot of people say, well, that's disproportionate. It's disproportionate for people that make less money because they don't have as much disposable income. And so those who make a lot of money need to help out those who are poor. Well, a flat tax actually does do that. If you if you make more money, you're actually putting more into the system with a flat tax. Let's say that um, I make $100,000 and I use of public services $5,000. Well, with a flat tax of just 10%, I'm putting in $10,000. Therefore, I'm contributing $5,000 more than I actually take out of society. Not to mention all the jobs that I create because of my innovation, because of the small business that I set up, and uh, the people that I employ that can go on and buy groceries and build homes and buy cars, and, and, and the chain of prosperity continues on. But I'm actually putting in more than my fair share because my fair share is only what I take out. And so I want to demonstrate that a little clearer because I know a lot of people are still skeptics on the flat tax. And so I I put together, I didn't put it together, I, I watched a YouTube video that had a fantastic scenario of a flat tax. And um, so it's on PragerU. And so if you want to look that up, PragerU, flat tax, they do a scenario with um, three brothers, and their names are Tom, Dick, and Harry. And they're all um, construction workers. And Tom, he works 20 hours a week. And uh, Dick works 40 hours a week. And Harry works 60 hours a week. And we can all relate to that, you know. 20 hours a week is a part-time job, and sometimes we don't want to work more than that. Some of us work very hard and work 60 hours a week, and, and you know, we're working well after the 5 o'clock time period where you, you typical person checks out. So um, they, they make money respective on the amount of hours that they put in. So Tom makes 25000 Dick makes 50000 and Harry makes 75000 Now, they're all married, and it doesn't matter what gender that they chose to marry, right? They're just married, whatever. And uh, so then each person, um, their wife, decides whether or not to work. And uh, let's say Tom's wife, she elects not to work. That's fine. That's her choice. And uh, Dick's wife, he, she decides to work part-time. 
And so she works 20 hours a week, and uh, Harry's wife decides to work full-time, 40 hours a week. So at the end of the day, Tom's family makes $25,000. Dick's family makes $75,000, and Harry's family makes $125,000. Vastly disproportionate. Is it an equal outcome? No, but it was an equal opportunity. They're all brothers. They all grew up under the same roof, under the same circumstances, same opportunities. They just chose differently. And so, therefore, they have different outcomes. And uh, let's say that they all decide to build homes next to each other and make a little uh, community, a family community. And so they build those homes. And, and all the homes are, they, they need water and sewage and they need electricity. And so they need infrastructure. They, they want a park as well for their kids to play at. So let's say that they, they put together initially the contract to have this infrastructure put in and it costs $30,000. Okay. Their homes are equally benefited from this infrastructure. Everybody needs the water. Everybody needs the electricity. Everybody needs the sewer. And uh, then the bill comes, and they they get together to decide how to pay for this $30,000 bill. And it seems pretty clear to Harry, who makes $125,000, well, we all benefit equally, so $10,000 apiece. And uh, Tom, who only makes $25,000 a year, says, no, that, that's not fair at all. I, I can't afford that. And uh, Dick says, well, I don't, I don't really think that's fair either. That's going to be a hardship on me. I can afford it, but it's going to be a hardship. And Harry says, well, why should I be paying all of this for you two just because I'm working 60 hours a week and because my wife decides to work full time? So th- they look at it three different ways. One is they can each pay $10,000, and Tom and Dick don't really agree with that. Um, So they say, okay, well, what if we take the total sum of our income, $225,000, and uh, we we divide $30,000 by the $225,000, and that comes out to be about, oh, what was the percentage here? I had written it down, 16%. So based on that, each person would be paying a fraction of that. And so Harry would be paying $16,000, which of course is more than his proportionate share, but still it's it's in the ballpark. Uh, Dick would be paying $10,000 and Tom, who makes the least, he would be paying $3,400. And still he complains. He says, no, I don't agree with that. That's still a flat amount as far as percentage. And I don't agree with that. And so he says, we should do a proportion. If you make more, Harry, you should have to pay more. And so he comes up with his own figure and he says, okay, let's do a graduated system where, um, Harry, you pay 16% of it. Um, Dick, you pay 12% of it. And I will pay 4% of it. So so that means, Harry, you're going to pay $20,000. And Dick, you pay $9,000. And Tom, you pay $1,000 or that 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 is vastly disproportionate, right? He's paying one thousand dollars for a benefit that is actually a ten thousand dollar benefit to his family specifically, just because he chose to work twenty hours a week. That is the progressive tax. That's the tax system that we currently have in place. And what it's essentially doing is, it, it, it it's hard to argue that Harry who's working 60 hours a week and whose wife decides to work 40 hours a week, they're not being punished by having to pay 16000 or $20,000 for the same infrastructure that benefits all three brothers' families 
equally. And that's the argument that I get to. I think that the flat tax is the easiest way. It's the pencil that writes in space. It's, it's not sexy. It's, it's not complicated. But you can imagine how much time would be saved on tax returns. It's estimated that $300 billion is used just in paying for tax preparers to prepare taxes to file with the IRS. And that's not taking into consideration the amount of time and effort that's lost because of the, the work that you, you miss in going to the tax preparer and, and all the other compiling issues. It's actually estimated to be upwards towards $900 billion to almost a trillion dollars that is lost in our economy because our tax system is so darn difficult. Most people, they want to understand what they're getting into. And even if it's something that's difficult, even if it's something that's burdensome, if they can understand it, then they're okay with it and they can, they can plan for it. Nobody understands the tax system. Nobody does, right? 46 professional tax preparers couldn't come out with the same outcome on a pretty traditional tax return. So it's fair to say that our tax system is broken. We need to get the government out of solving solutions and back to protecting our rights. So the government basically has one purpose, and that is to make sure that our fundamental rights are not infringed upon, that nobody takes away my right to liberty. Nobody forces me to get a vaccine that I don't want to get. Nobody forces me to say something I don't want to say. Nobody forces me to um, endorse or uh, celebrate uh, ceremony that I don't agree with. That is not the government's role. The government's role is to make sure my freedom is protected and my property is protected, and then let us figure out how to innovate and based on our credentials, prosper. And that, that I believe, is the American dream. That's all the time that we have for today. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.